Boom. Reactive. What's up, everyone? Nope, I don't like that. <clears throat> What's up, everyone, and welcome to the sidebar, where we double-click on everyday topics and thoughts, but more importantly, get a chance to hear ourselves talk. I'm Shannon. And I'm Sean. And together, we're Seanan. Man, I really don't like that. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> We're sticking with it. It's fine. I'm just no, 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 no. We and I'm not. To. No, I'm not editing out this part either. Let's go. Today's topic is part one of a three-part series where we discuss our past, current, and future dream jobs, hoping to find some sense in how the heck we got to where we are and where we want to go from here. We discuss lessons learned, epic fails, influential people, hopes, dreams, and in-betweens. We answer some tough questions and successfully deflect others. Now, while we have similar sounding names and are both considered creative people, our career paths are completely opposite of each other. But while our paths quite literally overlapped in a way, we found that we do share a lot of the same lessons and ideals when it comes to an occupation. So first up, we discuss the ghosts of our past jobs, starting from the beginning. And while some might think that these jobs are trivial, and maybe almost laughable, others may say that these past gigs became the cornerstones of what might become the second best career paths in all of St. Louis. Guess we'll have to wait to find out. So for those of you joining, thank you for getting this far. We hope you like the sound of our voices because there's about to be a lot more of it. I was counting and I have had five jobs before my current job and I don't know if that's a lot or a little yeah that surprisingly is the same as me I thought for sure I would have more but I would say jobs that have content worth talking about I would say probably four or five what what jobs have you had that don't have content worth talking about <laughs> uh you know like the the job that you do in college for like four hours a week Oh, I didn't even think of that. I delivered pizza and I made pizza. So that's six. I there completely go. forgot about that job. Good call. And I didn't have any jobs in high school. So that takes out a good eight years, right? Yeah, I had two jobs in high school, but I don't know. Like, I feel like I had friends who worked jobs harder and more real than mine. My, my first job ever, I was a bagger at a grocery store. All right. I'm sorry, a courtesy clerk at Ooh. Deerberg's Markets. And I did that for maybe a year and a half uh, in high school. And then I don't know if it was before or after that, but I also worked for, my, my dad had a company for a really long time, and I worked at the family company in varying degree. Like, it's one of those things of, I'm sure when I was like 13, I went and helped like move boxes or something but I don't think that I was actually really helping do anything. It was more like dad needed to go work. And he was like, Hey, while I do my actual work, why don't you move those boxes from that side of the room to that side of the room? And I, I left feeling like, wow, put in a hard day's work today. It's all about perspective. He made you feel like you were going towards a purpose and it worked out. Yeah. It's a, it was a fulfilling job. You're right. And then so, after that, I did like actually work there in summers and stuff like that, doing real work that, affected the bottom line. I feel okay about that. Yeah. So what was, so, what was your first job? Uh, my first job, if you count it, 
was I delivered the neighborhood newsletter on a bike and every Saturday morning, I think it was maybe one summer or two summers. I don't even know if I actually got paid. So maybe it wasn't technically <laughs> so, a job. So jobs in quotes. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, the requirements were that you had to ride a bike and uh, be able to balance on the bike and deliver the newsletter to the mailbox without stopping. How, so, describe physically this newsletter. I'm imagining like a newspaper you can throw like they they're somewhat rigid. When you say newsletter, I'm imagining like two pieces of paper stapled together. Maybe three. But okay. usually but usually it's a heavy two. month. Yeah. But you would have to so our mailboxes had like the mailbox itself and then like the little newspaper slot below it. So you would roll up the newsletter, the two or maybe three pieces of paper and uh, put it in that slot below. Would you roll it while on the bike or would you like roll a bunch of them before you started riding and then just put the rolled papers into the, into the, the little cubby? Excellent question. <laughs> Thank you. And that's really like, if I had anything that I learned from that, it's preparation is key. Because like if I learned in my first couple routes that I didn't pre-roll, and that was just a disaster. So I would I would uh, figure out a way to pre-roll before I started my route. How many houses were in the neighborhood? Like, are you I, doing twenty five of these things, or are you doing four hundred fifty? I think there is probably eight to ten streets with twenty houses per. Don't make okay. me do math on that, but. But I mean, yes. it was a so solid over couple 45 hours. houses. Yeah. <laughs> I may be getting ahead of ourselves where we want to go with this conversation, but at the last job I had before my current job, there was an event we did where in the middle of the night, we were at a hotel and the newspapers that got delivered the next morning, we had to wrap all of the newspapers with like a little promotional wrapper for this brand we were representing. And... I accidentally made a bunch of poor decisions in my life that night and slept through the like 3 a.m. wake up call when the papers arrived and we had to wrap like 900 papers. It was this massive resort. And so the vice president of our company happened to be there and they woke him up and he wrapped newspapers instead of young, what, 22 year old irresponsible <laughs> Sean. And that was a lesson that I carried with me. And I met up with that guy like several years later after I had left the company and stuff. And we had a great conversation and he had no recollection of that night even happening. And it's something that I've like, I've been afraid to reach out to him for years. Like, hey man, he's going to hate me for that newspaper thing. <laughs> prepping yeah. newsletters, prepping newspapers. It's all the same. I don't even think anybody knew that I actually delivered the newsletters. So, so thankfully I didn't have any sort of pressure for that, but I'm sure a lot of people got a lot of like hastily folded newsletters in their mailboxes and that was all thanks to me. So Is that is that one of those things where like if no one knows where it came from, that's evidence of a job well done? Could be. So I feel like if you crashed into mailboxes and like we're scratching cars and stuff like that, like, oh god, here comes Shannon. Yeah. Like, that would be a, a negative impact of your job on the community, but True. Very true. But going back to um the Deerberg's market, which I didn't—I thought it was just Deerberg's. So that was pretty. I've learned something new already. I think it's technically Deerberg's family markets, but oh, okay. So now, when you're as a 
customer on the other end, do you put your groceries like on the belt a certain way because of how the bagger has to receive them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you do, I, do you do like a little like, I got you, man. Like I, I know what you're about to do. I have, but the problem is so often the baggers are horrible and I will organize things where like I'm putting all the frozen things on the belt first so that those can all go in one bag and I'm putting like boxes first so you can build the base and then like frozen vegetable bags on top of like I am delivering these things thoughtfully down the belt and then they get down there and they just don't care and they're like throwing one frozen thing in with like disinfectant and then like fresh vegetables on top like it's just a mess and it drives me crazy because it's it's a simple thing but it was a thing I was really good at I won a bagging competition in high school which oh. I think speaks volumes about me in some ways of what I will take the time to get very good at so <laughs> I was the best I was the best and now in my in my golden years I look at these young children bagging groceries without passion, without heart, without pride in their work, and it, and it breaks my heart a little bit. So you're like the the dad in the hardware store that just offers advice that's not even like asked for. Do you do you give advice to the baggers? Do you say I like, hey, no, like no, no. you you should have asked me how I want my eggs. To I be I won't ever do that. But if they do bag my groceries well, which happens occasionally, I will absolutely like praise them. Not not praise, but thank them for like, wow, these are bagged really well. Thank you very much. Although lately, due to the pandemic, we've been having our groceries delivered quite a bit, so I don't get that that mm -hmm. face to face time uh, to really appreciate the work of the baggers in person. But once I go back to the store, I will I will pass along that gratitude when deserved. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you delivered newspapers as your first quote unquote job. Mm -hmm. Is there, what's the first job that you like got a paycheck for that, <laughs> that you can remember getting paychecks for anyway? This is so great that we get to talk about this because it's actually a running joke with a few of my friends here that I always find an opportunity to talk about how I used to work at Firehouse Subs and just how hilarious I think that that memory is, which looking back, it's like, how did I ever pick firehouse subs out of all the options like in college? It wasn't even close to my house, so I have no idea how I landed on that one, but it was it was a job that I took mainly for gas money. So my paycheck was like 27 bucks a week. I mean, it was which I thought was great, but I mean, it was nothing. I never Never graduated off the cash register, so don't ask me how they steam the meat. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know they steamed the meat. I've never been to Firehouse Subs. You should try. I've Hampton heard Village. good things. I've, yeah, there's one near me. I just have never been there. Yeah, so I, uh, so anytime I walk into Firehouse, it's like <laughs> I go up to the cash register and I kind of have like this, I used to work here, so like, you know, what's up? Do, do you ever say anything? I, uh, I, I've said that once or twice, but that's a, that's about it. I feel like I have my Jimmy John's order tattooed on my arm and I've never showed it. I've never like gone in and been like, Hey, look, I have my Jimmy John's tattoo. But there was one time that I went in, in a rare situation where I was wearing a short sleeved shirt, which I do not often do. And the cashier looked at my arm 
And all she said was, is that? And I just said, yep. And that was the end of the conversation. But there was a little, there was that connection, that, that understanding. Yeah, I did it. I think I did it once or twice. And then I quickly realized how, how ridiculous that was that I was doing that. So I have not done it since, but. Have you, so you said you, this was in college. Mm-hmm. Briefly, were you going to college near home? Were you living, you said it was near your house. Uh, were you, so I'm this trying was, to understand how many hours, when, when are you working at Firehouse? What else is going on in your life? Yeah, so this is when, this is over the summer. Um, so I'm back in Richmond. I went to college in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I'm back in Richmond and I have this other, I'm working for like a summer exchange program that we're doing office hours like two days a week. So I have the rest of the week to try to fill my time and actually pay for gas because the summer program's in DC, which is like two hours away. So I'm going in like on a random Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, working the cash register for a couple hours and then, and then going home. Do you remember what your hourly rate was? Ooh. Because I assume you weren't salary. <laughs> it wasn't just I was not. $27 a week salary. I was not. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was whatever minimum wage was at the time. This was, this is what, 2010 and 11? And I remember getting my first check at the store, opening it up and being like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> and this lady next to me who's got like a check for like $400 is like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> like, your child's play. So, How long would... had she been there, though? Was she a lifer? She oh, for sure. She in her late sure. 60s, had been working there for 42 years. Yeah, and it was like, this was my first experience with like, seeing real life jobs like I'm I'm this you know sheltered college kid that just wants some gas money and I'm working next to people that this is probably their second job of the day and trying to make ends meet and uh, so I definitely was a quick perspective that I was just I was an idiot but my starting salary I think was like seven bucks an hour 725 an hour something like that something comically low for this this would have been like 2001 or two when I was working at Deerberg's and on top of that like obviously the taxes come off of that but I had to join the local 655 baggers union or like grocery store workers union and they took like two bucks an hour off my like there was a substantial amount of my paycheck that went back to the union which I didn't understand at the time, like now I'm pro-union. Now I understand the value of a union. At the time, as a high schooler, I was like, man, I don't want to be unionized. Like just, I'd rather have the extra $4 this weekend that I can do something with. A union, I'm not going to go to a union meeting. I don't care. Uh, but it ended up boiling down to like the same thing. I would work like a whole weekend and have like $32 after like two eight-hour days, it seemed. So... Yeah, I feel like there was a lesson I could have learned there, uh, and maybe it was that I didn't have to have a job in high school. Did you ever air your grievances to your fellow union mates? No, because, I mean, similar to what you were saying with the lifer, it was that where I was some dopey white kid who didn't need a job. Like, it was gas money. It was, I was buying music gear and stuff at the time, like, I was supporting my hobbies, not my livelihood. 
Um, and so I, I knew enough even at that point, even though I know so much more now, I knew enough at that point to say like, oh, these aren't people that I should complain about these little things to because these people are dealing with real problems. They're not saving up to buy a guitar that they probably don't really need. Right, right. Yeah, no, so that, I mean, that was good. I'm very thankful for my experience for five weeks at Firehouse Subs. I did learn how to... It was only five weeks? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was only summer for like a few days. I mean, it was very temporary. Okay. That's why I never graduated off the cash register. I never spent more time to like get more responsibility. Do you think you could have if you had just dedicated yourself a little bit? Absolutely. One of my biggest regrets. Not spending more time. <laughs> I don't know how deep the fire hole, fire, fire hole, the rabbit holes, the rabbit yeah. hole of firehouse subs goes. There we are. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, I have vivid memory, vivid, vivid memories of being in the back of house prepping the ingredients. And to this day, anytime I chop a green pepper, I think of firehouse. I think you, of, were you trained to chop them a certain way? Yeah, well, so I don't think I necessarily went through a formal training process, but I was told to prep the pepper, and my you know fellow employee who was probably thirty years older than me clearly looked at what I was doing and was like, no, 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 this is how you do it. So it was like you know that camaraderie building in the back of the house. So I just it's a good memory. I had that. So I worked at. Briefly, my job history, I'll, I'll zoom out and cover the whole thing. Worked at Deerberg's, worked at the family company, which was a cheese warehouse um, that sold cheese to Deerberg's, actually. Then in college, I worked at the pizza place. And then I worked at a company called Promotion, which did like mobile tours. And I worked with CNN while I was there. And then I got my real job. But before the CNN job, I went back to Deerberg's for like three months after I had graduated college. I just need, it was that thing where I actually needed the money this time. And I was out on my own and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I graduated with a degree in biology, but I didn't want to be a biologist or something. So it's just sort of figuring it out. But when I reapplied to Deerberg's like five years after I had worked there before, they were like, I, I wanted to be a bagger. I wanted so bad to be a bagger again because I loved it. And they were like, no, you have a college degree. We can't, you can't just be a bagger. Um, so you, you're going to be in the deli. And mm. I remember like at first sort of being flattered. And then this isn't a judgment on anybody, but everyone else in the deli, like you just said, was like 30 years older or high school students. Like I don't, I, w I was the only person with a college degree other than like the manager. It was all these wonderful, sweet, like 70 year old women and then some punk 15 and 16 year old kids and me. And I was always just questioning like, how is my degree useful here? Because these 70 year old women without college educations are killing it back here. And they don't even, we're weighing meat. They can tell it, they can tell when it's a pound without weighing it. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't, it's all about that slicer. You have to have like a PhD in that meat slicer. Another reason why I never got there at Firehouse, but... Not only a PhD in the slicer, but in the safety protocols to even approach the slicer. 
There was one time I went to the slicer section without my chainmail shark-proof <laughs> glove on and uh, was, was chewed out by a manager. It, it was rough. But, yeah, I, I went back for like three months, worked in the deli before the CNN job fell into my lap. Um, but it was good to be back. Good to be back for a little bit in the Deerberg's family markets. I mean, did you tell them I'm the best bagger in I mean, they knew. St. Louis? They knew. They had heard of me. Yeah. No, it was it it was weird though because the the cheese company that my dad owned was called Hotly Cheese and my name was Sean Hotly still is. And in the deli they sold Hotly Cheese and so there was a bit of a like, "Whoa, you're Sean Hotly?" I'm like, "It means nothing. Don't be starstruck by some <laughs> by some punk college student coming back to work in a deli. I am not royalty, thank you." But I mean, I'm I'm sure that like within the team meetings at Deerberg's, there is like an understood hierarchy or kind of chain of command. I mean, I, I think my dad owns some like independent grocery stores, and I'm don't the deli people make more than the cashiers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a higher risk job. We got that shark proof chainmail suit that we got to use for the. I got to keep in physical shape to be able to wield that glove safely. It's important. Yeah. How, how was your hair in that situation? Did you have any like beard action going on or? I don't think, I don't think we had to wear hair nuts or maybe we wore hats. That's a great question. Interestingly, timeline wise, this is in like 2007 and the summer that I stopped working at Deerberg's, uh, it was, I graduated in spring of 2007, worked that summer. And that summer in June, the iPhone came out and I got the iPhone. This is a pivotal point in my life because this is when I started taking photos with a phone that then have been saved forever. So like the photos that I had before then aren't really well categorized or maintained anywhere. But so... I can picture, because like when I open up my photo library, like some of the earliest photos in there are like me in my deli shirt because <laughs> it was that summer. And I can't, I, like in none of those, am I wearing a hat or a hair, but I can't imagine that I was just rocking on natural back there in the meat counter. I don't know. I thought you were going to say back in 2007, beards weren't really in style or, you know, like. Well, I it still can't grow a beard. It wasn't the beard thing. It would have been a hairnet more than a, a beard, a chin, a chin warmer. I don't know what they call them. It's how I most people it... wear their masks now, so whatever that is. <laughs> Do you still have your Deerberg's polo or shirt? I did for a long time. It probably is at my parents' house. I don't have it in my house, but I I did have my apron for Like several years later, there was a costume party that I like wore – like my shit, we wore chef like shirts uh, back in the deli. So I, I like my polo was from a, as a bagger, but I got a a legit like chef's coat mm. that I got to wear in the deli and an apron. Yeah, and if they weren't clean. There were problems. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I still have a couple firehouse shirts and hat. See, for me, I think it would be heartbreaking to try to fit into a shirt that I wore in high school. I feel like that's just not something I'm <laughs> mentally excited about at this point. Goals. <laughs> so firehouse subs, mm -hmm. then what? Yeah, interesting. We we spent way more time on firehouse than I ever thought we actually 
would. Probably more time than I actually worked there. We have spent talking about it on this on this episode. But I would say that the next thing or kind of it was kind of simultaneously. So it was nothing in high school. And then instantly after college it, or during college, it was Firehouse and then this program called High School Diplomats. And it's a program that I did as a student in high school. It's a summer program, cultural exchange between um, American students and Japanese students. It takes place, it's like 10 days in Princeton, and there's counselors for the program. So after I did the program, I became a basically a summer counselor. And so I did that for a couple years. And what's cool about the program is that not only is there a 10 days in the U.S., but then there's also like a sister program in Japan where the kids can go to Japan the next year and spend three weeks and, and travel. So I was Wait, able to... Wait, why, why do the Japanese kids get 10 days in America and the American <laughs> students get three weeks in Japan? It seems fair, doesn't it? No. Um, so that's a good clarification. So it's three weeks on both programs, but the... I guess the exchange portion of the American and Japanese students is only for 10 days. But like, so when the Japanese kids come over, they, they tour the U.S. for two weeks and then they spend the last 10, 10 days, days in, Princeton. Okay. in Princeton with the roommate. So when the kids go over to Japan, they do the three weeks, two weeks of touring and then an exchange. So I was a, a, a counselor for a couple years there. I was a counselor in Japan which is just mind-blowing to think that they trust two college students to take 20 high school students to Japan and tour and come back alive. Wait, buck stops here, two college... There's not an additional adult chaperone or support staff. It's two college students running the show for 20 high schoolers? Mm-hmm. That is insane. Well, there's a there's a Japanese staff that will receive us, if you will, and, and they'll, you know, they, clearly we don't know any Japanese, and so they're kind of, they arrange the tour, and there's at least one director that's of mature age. Okay, so you're not <laughs> just flying, and, and these kids are in their own home country where they can communicate. It's not like you're taking a group of German kids to Japan and trying right. to navigate. Okay. Right, so, so that was... I mean, gosh, I, I was, so I worked it through college. So 2007 through 2012. So a big okay. portion. So was that a year long thing or was that just a summer program? So it, the first couple of years was just kind of over the summer. There would be that, um, before the program started, which was like end of July, like May and June, you would spend in the office, like prepping for the program, planning the, the activities and coordinating with the kids picking the kids for the program. That was that two day a week office life. Um, oh, okay. Okay. That was like, it was the sweetest deal. It was like office hours were like 10 to three Monday and Tuesday. And then, and then that was it. Did you also get to eat for free at firehouse? No. Okay. Didn't. I was thinking for a second, you had the gas money from firehouse plus your meals covered <laughs> then rocking this sweet day job but it wasn't, it wasn't free food. That, that was a, that stung a little bit at firehouse that I didn't get my lunch for free. I did get a free drink, but not even free refills. It was a tough life. <laughs> How could but, they tell if you were refilling? 
Uh, I feel like that's one you could have gotten away with. I'm not saying like steal office supplies because no one will know, but I think a squirt of Coke isn't going to bankrupt the company. I don't know. Well, no, I I, I probably could have gotten away with it, but that's just my personality that like if it's the, I would have so much internal guilt that I just wouldn't be able to get up in the morning if I took a refill. So between your current job now Mm -hmm. and the college diplomat job, were there any other bigger jobs? Yeah, there was. Um, so then when I graduated college, that was like when jobs became like a, a serious thing when like you should probably start doing jobs that reflect the degree that you just got. So yeah. no offense to Firehouse, <laughs> right. but it might be time for a change. Okay. Right. So I did graphic design um, in college. So the first year out of co- the first two years out of college, I did freelance graphic design and wedding videography on the weekends. I was really just like the the second shooter, so it wasn't my business or anything. I just showed up Saturday, helped, and then left. Like so, I, that was my involvement. But so like those two years after college was this diplomat program, freelancing, and wedding videography, kind of all at once. And then did you go from that cacophony of odd jobs into your current job? Yeah, it, it all just came to like this point where the diplomat program wasn't making, it, it doesn't, you don't make any money doing that. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like a second job kind of thing or a supplement job. Yeah. And then for freelance and wedding videography, I quickly learned that I do not have entrepreneurship in my veins uh, when people would ask me to do like logos or, or work, I would say, yeah, just, just give me a case of beer for, for reimbursement. Like I, I just didn't have the drive. I didn't have the confidence in myself, whatever. So it was um, then that I quickly changed to my current job, which is nowhere close to what I spent four years or my parents spent four years of tuition money on. Yeah. So I, w- I want to save our current jobs for the next episode, but with these existing jobs these these uh, training jobs i guess because i think i'm i'm the same way where i guess it was a real ish job when i worked for the the event marketing company uh, with cnn but it didn't feel like a long term like it didn't feel like a career at that point it still felt like a great post-college gig so the gig was to travel the country and hand out t-shirts for cnn was essentially the gig um, and so we would go to debates and conventions. We'd go to Iowa State Fair and just anywhere where we could find people with this big trailer all covered in CNN logo stuff. And so we'd pull up, set up so that people like the goal of it was that people could come and be like, oh, I hung out with CNN today. Maybe I'll go watch CNN more now. That's like the entire goal of the company I worked for is to give you some sort of experience that you feel a connection with a brand. But it's not necessarily like we weren't filming anything necessarily at first it wasn't like you were coming there to get interviewed it was just like oh hey here's a cnn hat and so that was my job for a year and a half so while it was a bigger job with a real paycheck for the first time in my life it didn't feel like oh i want to hand out t-shirts for the rest of my life and i mean right. all my coworkers, except for the executives were in there like everyone was younger than 24 like it was just because we were just traveling nonstop. You couldn't be tied down. You couldn't have a family and do this. It was a perfect post-college. Suspend your car insurance because you're not going to be driving. 
uh, your car and just live in hotels for a year and a half. And that's exactly what I did. And it was a cool time to do it. But after a while, it was the same thing that you're saying of like, okay, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't sustainable in the long, I don't want to see myself doing this in even two years. Maybe I should look into something else. Yeah. But I think going similar to what like freelance and videography didn't work out for me, but it was because I did it and then realized that I, you know, it would always be like a, what if I think, or, you know, maybe a regret if I didn't do it to realize what I do like and what I don't like. So I don't know if that has any overlap in your CNN job or not. Yeah, it was the same thing, which is kind of funny. My job in a lot of ways was traveling for a larger corporation. And I realized that isn't really what I wanted to be doing. <laughs> and it seems like in some ways we have, we've switched. We've just handed each other. Uh, we swapped careers at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wanted to go back through our jobs and ask the question of what each job taught us that we still use to this day like how have these jobs continued to impact our lives not just our, our lives as current employees or you know current people in the workforce but as a person what did you learn from firehouse subs other than how to cut your green on or your green peppers <laughs> or were there things because that was your first job that was your first time being with a manager with a boss mm-hmm. what was what did you take what lessons did your manager teach you um, it was definitely, you know, the first time I had to show up on time. I mean, we could say that about like class at college, but, yeah. but this, this had more, um, it affected your, your pay. So uh, a little bit more professionalism. And I think what's, what's interesting is that while I only did the cash register, it taught the importance of like that interaction with customers. And even if it, how short it is, like if it's only for 10 seconds, like, how you how you approach that interaction can like make somebody's day or really just like if, if I have a bad attitude or I'm not respectful, like that could affect their perception of firehouse. So that was I feel like that was kind of a, an interesting takeaway of just kind of always understanding that you you represent more than yourself. You represent the company in any job. Uh, was that, that you're was doing. that something that you like realized on your own a little bit of like, oh, hey, I was in a bad mood today and it turns out everyone else got in a bad mood. Or was that something that the managers were like, and remember, Firehouse Subs is going to be an impression that we make on people. So make sure your shirt is well pressed. I, I definitely wouldn't be able to pick out my manager or even like, I don't even know, I can't remember his name, like if I see him on the street. So I, def- I definitely don't think it was something that was um, in the training, I think it was more that I learned also just being on the other side. Like when I would go to restaurants or to, to fast food and have like a poor experience and how that shaped it. I think it was just kind of my own realization going through it. As a cashier, if someone's sandwich was messed up, they came to you and, and aired their grievance with you. Is that true? Yes. Even though you did not make the sandwich. Correct. You did not make them. Because I I delivered pizza in college for like a year and a half. And it was the same thing of I'd get there, I'd deliver the pizza. And it's, I mean, it was such an automated process of like, I would go to the store. There'd be like a stack with an address on it and a map. And then I'd, off I'd go. I didn't check the, like they were all checked and prepared. But then it was that thing where I'd show up and somebody would be like, no, no, no. I told them pepperoni. And it'd be the kind of thing where 
whether it was the fact that they had said pepperoni, we had written down pepperoni and messed the order up, or whether they said sausage, we made sausage, and now they're just being like, no, I'm pretty sure I said pepper. Regardless, I got yelled at and chewed out and a few times almost held hostage of like, <laughs> no, you're going to wait here while I call the store and we figure this out. I'm like, hey, this is this is borderline illegal here. I'm just going to go. But it was that same thing. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. And that has affected my life when I deal with customer service now, like when I call to whatever, you know, support line or whatever, regardless of how frustrated I am with whatever product or service, I know that the sweet person answering the phone had nothing to do with it. And I know right. that everyone else they've dealt with today has been mean to them. And that's one thing where, from the pizza job especially, where I think I'm nicer to, to service people and, and customer support because I have that opportunity. Like you just said, I have the opportunity to be a highlight of their day, to be goofy and fun and happy, if only for a moment. We're getting to the same answer. We can get their mean or we can get their happy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's just pizza. What's the big deal? Yeah. And, and that, I wouldn't say that to your point about like, if you get, if somebody complains to you about something that Joe did next to you, it's like you learn, you quickly learn that it's not like, you don't want to say like, well, it was him that did it. Like it's the whole, like we're a team we represent. And so it's a, we, not an I. And, and then number two, that the customer is always right. I don't think that I would say that firehouse taught me that I would say that it, it, now, now looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, I was exposed to that. And then I think so it's like a gradual learning throughout the, the process. I think that's interesting. That reminds me of by contrast to, to then um, and the jobs then now I own my own company or I run my own company. And while in most cases, the customer is always right. There was a freedom back then of like, oh, your order was totally messed up so sorry, keep it and we'll replace it or, and we'll refund it. Sorry about that. Like we just had unlimited resources essentially to satisfy somebody where like if somebody at the deli or the pizza place, like if something went wrong, it was immediately like the value of this pizza is not enough to lose them as a customer forever. And so like, that was just policy of like, yeah, throw money at them, give them gift certificates, correct their order, drive it back out there. We'll cover the expense. It's fine. And now that I am the bank and it is Mm. my money and my account, it gets a little, I just miss that of like, oh, it'd be great if the corporate overlords would just throw money at everything to make it happy. But it's my money now. And that's, that changes things a little bit. Well, also probably because it's your company, 90% of the time you probably had some role in whatever they're complaining about. And so you probably, would you say that you had like some like, I don't believe you, like you're not, you're coming from the wrong place and this is why I'm not going to give you a... Oh, a hundred percent. But I'm like, even at the pizza place, it'd be like, I know you're wrong, but we're still going to smile and give you everything that you want because we'd rather have you call again next weekend. Now I get to do that evaluation a little bit more objectively and say, is it worth it to keep you around to do this to me again? Or should I just cut you loose? Um, yeah, but that's for another episode. True, very true. So going back to to what I've learned from my jobs, I think for the diplomat job, 
I learned and, and kind of who it's made me as a person is being able to find common ground with anybody that you interact with or, or you work with. I mean, our the staff that we had in that program was like a very eclectic group just for like the U.S. staff. And then you're working with a whole Japanese staff and then 40 Japanese kids, 40 American kids. So like you have all of these different walks of life, but really we're there for a common goal of, of trying to, to unite and, and learn from each other. And so like being able to find common ground with those people, I think is something that is, is just kind of like a day-to-day lesson that I've been able to kind of attribute to work and personal. I was gonna say, is it different, like that job and being on the same page and having the same goal at Firehouse Subs, that same thing I, I assume is true to an extent, but like you said, it's the, cause we represent Firehouse Subs. Like we want Firehouse Subs to be good as where with the college diplomats, you're affecting someone's life. Like you're having a, a tangible impact on what someone's life experience would be. And I would imagine it's easier to get passionate about something like that. Like to get on the same page with people and put aside differences when you're doing that impactful work. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's way more power and impact when there's like a that common goal or, or that that mission that you guys are that you're working towards. I mean, for Firehouse, it was a good perspective of understanding that not everybody that works there looks like me or comes from my same background. And so like there's a, there's like that empathy of like what they're going through and we, we're all here together and we're on the same team. But when the core of the diplomat program, the core of it is to have relationships and, and build that camaraderie, I think it's it's puts it on a whole new a whole new level. If you don't have that, then it, it then the the program crumbles. Like if you're not able to to get along and to establish those relationships and and learn from each other, then it's not a success. When you then went into your more freelance based career stint, did you apply those same things? Like when you're doing graphic design, are you trying to? Well, you said you were working for a case of beer, so there might not be a. <laughs> a deep relationship there. But is is was that element as obvious in the freelancing of relationships or was it more transactional and, and gig based? Yeah, I would say more, I had more of awareness on that with the wedding videography in a couple of different examples. One, that it could be your 80th wedding that you're filming on a Saturday, but it's going to be, it's most people's first wedding that you're shooting. And just most that, people's first and only. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just that that understanding that not only do you have to show up every time and be on your A game and have it be your best performance, unlike say an office job where you could maybe get away with not doing so so well on a Monday because there's always Tuesday through Friday. So you have to show up, be on your A game, but then also understand that this is your interaction with this client and you want to make their day the best possible. And, and and not only that, but then the whole wedding industry is such a small network that the connections that you have with the photographer and with the DJ and with the event planner, like you don't want to burn bridges. You want to make sure that you have a good first impression because networking and connections are everything. And that was a, I mean, that was huge to kind of notice that the other gigs that we got was probably through an interaction that we had at a previous wedding. Yeah. I've only filmed a handful of weddings and I've done it with 
um, somebody else has booked all. I haven't booked any of my own weddings. But there's been, of like the 10 that I've shot, there were cases where the groomsman was a groom in another wedding we shot. Like it is like, oh, they used us for their wedding. And so now our, our groomsmen are getting married. So they're calling the same people. So it's that networking thing, but very much so where we almost started to have rapport with like, oh, yeah, we shot your wedding three months ago. Yeah. Good, good to see you're still together. <laughs> Congratulations. Things look like they're going smoothly. For sure. And, and I think it's also the, the, the last thing is really kind of just when I look back on the jobs, it's like I don't necessarily think of what I did in the daily task. It's more of like the people that I interacted with and who were my favorite bosses and who are my favorite teammates and like how can I embody that, you know, in my current job that we're waiting to talk about in the next episode. But Well, that gets into, I, I said I had two other questions I wanted us to explore. One of them was favorite coworkers or managers from your first jobs. Like what you said, may your firehouse subs manager rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they're dead, but neither do you. Um, but were there people that stood out and what did they do or why did they stand out? What did, what did you take from them? Well, back to your your comment about my newsletter performance that maybe because I don't remember my manager is that he was doesn't mean he was or probably means he wasn't bad because I probably would have remembered him if he was bad, but also don't remember him because he was exceptional. Uh, what an opportunity that is <laughs> to be the manager of a newsletter delivery squad, like knowing that you get probably that first job impression, you, mm-hmm. you're someone's first manager. Like you could do, there could be a movie made about somebody, like a documentary about like this person was, you know, organizing the local newsletters and they worked with these kids. Every one of them went to college and became successful, gave back to their community all, and they could all trace it back to this guy. Missed opportunity. Not your fault, obviously. That we know know of. That's true. Maybe everyone else who delivered the newsletter after you is... Well, we didn't really give you a chance to talk about what you learned from your careers. I think a lot of what I learned in in my jobs was from managers and, and, and was from supervisors and stuff. Like, I think there's there's things like you talked about the importance of preparing and stuff from the, the newsletter job. And for me, most of my jobs were, save for the warehouse job at the family company, everything was like customer facing. Like I would work directly with the customers at the CNN gig. I would work like my job was to stand there and yeah, there was behind the scenes work and prep and admin. But when the day started, I was there to talk to people and to be friendly and nice and give them an experience. And so that was the same sort of at Deerberg's at CNN. And like what you're saying now, my job is project-based videography for the most part. And like what you were just saying about these weddings, like that's the prep is at the CNN, I'd go to state fair and, and have to talk to someone. This is going to make it seem really shallow, but I'd have to talk to somebody and make them feel like they spoke with somebody who runs CNN. Like they're going to come and pitch some political idea in my face and like, oh, well, we should vote for so-and-so and this will fix everything. And I need to, to provide them the experience of them leaving and saying like, wow, I was listened to. I was asked good follow-up questions, like someone engaged with me. It wasn't like, oh, I talked to some guy at CNN, he didn't care, and like he just walked away. And I think that prepared me in a huge way for what I do now, where I'm in charge of the customer, and I need to keep them engaged and have 
not only what seems to be a good relationship to them, but what is genuinely an enjoyable relationship. And I think that's maybe one part that I missed from all of all of my my previous jobs was how to use that experience to make it personally satisfying as well. I think for a long time I was so focused on like how as a bagger do I make somebody have a happy time in the in the checkout line? How as a deli clerk, how as a CNN t-shirt jockey, how do I I cater to someone else and I didn't stop to think how could this be sustainable for me emotionally? to have these conversations, to have these experiences for people? How do I make it a two-way street? And I think I've, I've figured that out probably in the past year after doing my current job for 12 years, uh, 13 years, something like that. And it's something that I, I wish there would have been an interaction with a manager that would have shed some insight on that. Yeah. I think when, when I think of managers, there's one that sticks out to me uh, more than any other. And it was back at Deerberg's. One of my managers is a guy named Jeff Turnbaugh. And he was the store manager at Deerberg's uh, down on Tesson Ferry, which is where I worked. And he called me into his office. Like, I was out bagging. He's like, Sean, I need you to come with me. Um, And he called me into his office, and I went down this long hallway to a place I had never been before. I didn't know there were offices in that store. And I went into this nice-looking office for being in a grocery store. And I was terrified. I thought I was being fired. I couldn't think of anything I had done wrong, but I was just taking the time to brainstorm like, oh God, did I squish someone's bread or eggs broken? What happened? Why is this the last day of my life here at Deerberg's? And it turns out, he said, uh, here is an extra step award, which was a wooden token, which I still have somewhere, that you get when someone calls in to compliment your service. So I had done something with a customer where they later called in and said, hey, I had an experience with Sean the bagger today, which was lovely, and I just wanted to call and say he did a great job. So when you do that, you get an extra step token, which I think is good for a sandwich at the deli, ironically. But now, as I own my own company and deal with customers, that's still one thing where sometimes when a customer is like, hey, can we have a phone call? We need to talk. Instantly in my head, I'm like, oh, God, where did this go wrong? I'm so like, this is how am I going to apologize? Where am I going to? And so often it's a call of like, just wanted to say thank you so much for dealing with so-and-so or, you know, for making this happen. And I don't know why I still always assume the worst. But you said it like when you were asking for beer in exchange for your service. It's because you had some sort of second guessing of your own abilities. And in spite of doing this for a very long time. I still assume that when someone wants to talk, it's because they want to yell at me. Well, also, because I think it's just a matter of like, today is all about email and texting. And like when I, not to talk about my current role, but like if I get a call from my boss, it's like, what I do? Like, this is not good. This doesn't happen. But on your next step, you said it was a next step award? The extra step. Extra step. Um, would you, do you value that award better than your best bagger award i do i do because the best bagger it's like it's the difference between math and literature math i can tell if it's right i can check my work i can do i know when it's done properly it's so subjective that experience where even if i packed someone's groceries perfectly they may not appreciate it but that extra step shows that whatever i did was perceived in a way that is beyond anything that i could measure and so yeah, because I mean, it's and it's the same thing now with my job. If I've made some amazing projects for people that they just don't care about or value, but when someone is like, "Hey, that was an amazing project you did," that's like, "Oh, thank you." 
Mm -hmm. Thank you. The last question I had, and this sort of, you transitioned well into it, the future, like right now the job market is different for everyone. Looking back on your experience of getting a, was it hard to get the firehouse job? Like what advice would you give to people in high school and college who were thinking about entering the job market, having experienced what you've experienced and seeing now what has mattered, what has affected, have you, you've hired people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you look at their first job? Like, do you look at the resume? Do you look at, oh, they were on student council in high school. Good. <laughs> that matters. What, yeah. what advice would you give to this next generation of, of people coming up trying to get jobs? It's, this is funny because I, I don't know if I was telling high school kids this or where I was talking about this. And um, By the way, I'm and, just picturing you like leaning against a high school with a crowd of kids around you. Like, <laughs> yeah, just telling some high school kids, <laughs> gather Come around. Here. Come here. That like this whole thing of like middle school does not matter. Like what you what you do from like sixth, seventh and eighth grade, like you we won't your grades in sixth and seventh and eighth grade don't matter like all that time of your life. Like there's no I think it was mainly about college applications, I don't remember, but it's this whole thing about when hiring, if I'm looking at people's past experiences, I don't necessarily hone in on like what exactly it is. I think it's more we kinda hone in on if there are gaps and kind of what you were doing from that gap of time. But I think my advice for high school students or for college students is just to do everything and anything. Like don't don't feel like, don't take it too seriously and get yourself in a box or in a corner like too early that I feel like I learned so much in the randomness and scatteredness of my path that like that also taught me things about myself that I didn't even know existed or strengths that I had that I wasn't aware of yeah and I almost wish that I did more of that maybe worked in actually in high school I always have a regret of like not being a waitress or like a bartender because I feel like that would have so many cool memories or lessons but that yeah just to kind of do anything and everything because because everything in life is is a learning opportunity I think that part is the biggest part that I would say of regardless of what path you take going into it with the mindset of, Hey, if the only job you can get right now, because it's a pandemic and the job market is horrific right now, if the only job you can get is scrubbing floors at a movie theater, that's at 10% capacity, instead of hating it, lean into it and look for, Look for lessons, look for relationships, look for efficiencies, look for things that you see management doing that you would tweak or do differently and just sort of absorb as much as you can so that in 20 years when you're on your own podcast, you can look back and say, oh yeah, and mop on the floors of the movie theater was the, a pivotal thing for me because of XYZ. And if you're not looking for, if you're not paying attention, you'll learn that lesson still, but it'll take you a lot longer and there's a lot of value you could get out of that if you're open to it on the front end. Yeah. And, and just kind of like that, the locker room chatter or like the, the, uh, water cooler chatter with your other associates, like me learning how to slice a green pepper from my, from my associate or my associate, my, whatever you call firehouse employees, your um, teammates. Yeah. That it's just no matter where people are on, on the ladder, like you can learn from other people and being able to take that 
McDonald's job for a couple of weeks because that's all that was there is way better than saying, well, I didn't really do anything because, you know, the recession and I can't get anything in my fields like that. It's a way better story to say, like, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes and no job is below me and I'm going to find the silver lining, like you said. I think what makes some people really great employees, teammates, managers, et cetera, is often that experience that's so far outside of the industry. Like when you bring that perspective, like I'm sure as, as we next episode talk about our current jobs, there's going to be things from your graphic design and your videography days that affect your corporate job mm-hmm. that other people who never worked with that sort of face-to-face interaction with that sort of all important day every day that's something you're bringing that's unique where had you just said like well I want to go this route and wedding videography is not a part of that there's still so much that you can take from it and if you have that opportunity to say well I'm not going to do this job because it's not in line with what I want to do yeah instead looking at it and saying there's a lot that I could learn from this that even though I want to go in a different direction I can take pieces of this yeah, like the, the diplomat program, I can communicate with somebody that doesn't even speak English or, you know, like learning those social and communication skills, graphic design, I can make one heck of a PowerPoint to be used in my, in my desk job or, yeah, and, and like even doing the, the diplomat program, it's like, it was then that I realized that like, I need to be around people and I'm actually good at what we're doing here. And this is, and it's nothing to do with graphic design. And I have this newfound confidence and these new skills that I didn't even know I had or I wanted to do. And then that is what steered me to not necessarily what I'm doing now, but knowing that design is not the path and let's be open to anything and everything. There's a, a cliche example, but I think Steve Jobs said it in a commencement speech. And I always think about this. Um, he he talks about connecting the dots backwards and how easy that is. And it can be really difficult to say, well, hey, I want to start a computer company that's going to you know, redefine design. So I should do this, 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 and this, and this, and then I'll be ready. And he was saying like he took a calligraphy class in college just because he needed a credit or whatever. And because of that, when they started doing computer design, the Mac was the first computer to like have actual fonts and like different choices and that made it this completely different experience for people but it was because he had developed this appreciation for typography that ended up impacting the mac and that's not something that you can like we're saying you can't be like well okay if i want to be this sort of employee then i can only take this path like because you're going to learn something that's going to change not what you do but how you do it and how you approach it potentially yeah well as we're on the topic of important people or you know, influences, um, a, a quote that I tend to follow, which could be going back to advice to the younger generation is, um, from Simon Sinek and it's don't show up to prove, show up to improve. And it's like, don't, don't try to be the expert and act like, you know, everything. It's like take every day and every task and every opportunity as a learning opportunity and just try to be better than the day before. And like, that humility and I think that that just perspective makes you just managers and bosses and and anybody I feel like would approach you better and and that's a better um, way of success rather than trying to be the the know-it-all in the room. Yeah and I think that's a great example because it's really easy to picture 
colleagues that you've had throughout your life who have been proven? Like, it's easy to say, like, okay, these people were like that, and I hated them. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine if I'm like that, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to give off the same impression. And right. Yeah. Yeah. It it gives you kind of like a camaraderie or like you, you become the person that people want to root for or want to work with rather than being like a, man, this is an arrogant, you know what, that I just don't want to succeed because they just make me mad. Yeah. You want to be, you want to be an underdog. You want to be somebody... Yeah. You don't want to be the giant. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You don't want that. Right, right. Well, I think we have provided pivotal advice for everyone in the world in this first episode. <laughs> yeah, and, how, many, how many viewers do you have? Well, it's a podcast, so they're not viewers. Um, they just listen to it. But <laughs> what were you saying about proving myself right all the time? I was going to say, and similar to being a podcast, nobody will see my reaction that I have to you right now. <laughs> it's always good to look into the past, and uh, we've, we, I feel a lot smarter looking into the past of what, yeah. I've, what I've done. Taking a moment to reflect on anything is, it can be so powerful, and I think doing it with our jobs, and I should say what, what started this conversation between you and I, why I wanted to do this podcast series with you, is because... We were talking a little bit, just like you had texted after we did the trivia night thing, like, you know, how's life or whatever. And I chose to answer you very candidly. Um, And as my job is changing currently and stuff like that, and we'll get into that next episode. But we started talking about life and and reflecting on our our lives and where we are and our, our jobs and stuff. And just through that, like the reason I wanted to have this conversation is because I'm already learning so many things, just preparing to have this conversation as I've reflected for the past few days and gone through questions and running through things in my head. There's already things that I've reminded myself of and new lessons that I've discovered about my current job that I wouldn't have had we not taken the time. And this podcast was the catalyst for us. Recording this was the catalyst for us to do that. But I think anyone could could listen to this podcast or not listen could they could see the title of this podcast whatever we decide it's going to be and yeah. start to have that reflection and, and find some value in it well it, it's it's funny because well one I love how I asked you a question that I just hate to answer myself which is like what's new or how's life because there's just so much weight that comes with that of and like pressure of like having a good response um, so I'm sorry for that, but I'm glad it led to a three-part podcast series. If but then they the could other all go that well. <laughs> yeah. The the other thing that I find comical is like being the one to talk up, be on a podcast talking about careers when like careers to me is such a insecurity and like vulnerable part of my life. Of like I have no idea what I'm not the one that has like a clear path to what will be in five years and ten years. So I just find it hilarious that. I'm on here talking about like the the strengths and weaknesses or like the, you know, what should be in a career when it's just been scattered and I've just been trying to figure it out. And I think that's the the ultimate teaser for episode two, because even though we haven't recorded it yet, I'm that same way. If I don't know what things look like in two, five, ten years, but I'm my own boss and you have a boss and it's completely completely different because of that 
but so much of it is still exactly the same. And so I'm excited for next episode and finding out more about our jobs, our lives, the world, the future, children, technology, politics, healthcare. (laughs) It's, it's been, uh, it's been fun catching up. I'm looking forward to two and three and thanks for having me. Thanks for being here and thanks for listening. If you listened here, if you listened, you did listen, you're hearing me say this. So thank you. (laughs) That was original content from Boom Reactive.